uh, if there's any way to do anything to Chris after this, uh, I mean anything, I'd much appreciate it. Uh, you know, already stressing a little bit about being up here. Um, it's been made known to me that uh, I've never um, had the opportunity to be up here on Easter. And so uh, to be up here and then to see everybody here, um, as you all know, I struggle as it is. And so uh, didn't need that, Chris. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I, I, I come here this morning and uh, helped out with, uh, with the, the preparing the meal and, uh, and stuff back there and just seen a lot of uh, the church being the church. Like, it was, it was just good. And the more um, just seeing that, the more it's like, man, this message don't fit with what I felt, with what I seen. And I'm, I've been struggling with it a little bit this morning, and I'm back there, and I'm still struggling with it, you know. Like, Lord, this is not the message for this. Um, you know, it's, it's not, not going to be your typical Easter message. Um, you know, we're going through the book of Mark. That's where we will be. Um, but back there, as I was getting ready, um, he just said, um, basically, like, this day requires action. Um, and so with what is being preached on today, like, like at the end of the day, like it requires action. Jesus done his part. He, he came, he, he died for us. He rose again. Like that doesn't mean that we just continue to go on in our ways and, and, and just pretend like nothing's, nothing's wrong. It requires action. And so I'm going to go through this today. And, and again, there's going to be some hardness in this. There's, there's definitely going to be some love in this. But this is the passage that, um, that fell on today, and so we're, we're just going to go through it and see what the Lord has for us. Um, and, and again, maybe some of it is going to be hard. I know it was hard for me in preparing this, um, because I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm guilty of what is going to be said today in, in, in heart issues. And so, um, anyways, I can't do any of this without, again, prayer. And I, I ask for uh, prayer from you guys as well, that our hearts are open, um, that we're, we're hearing from Him. Um, that uh, he gives us the words to speak today. And, and yeah, just let, join me in prayer. Um, Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that you have rose, that you, you defeated um, death, Lord, that you took on our sin, Father, and you just wasn't some uh, weird guy that had all these things that, that you said and, and we never heard of you again. But no, Lord, you conquered death. You were resurrected, Father. You were brought back to life, Father, and, and you're not just some guy that just had these, these ideas, Father, but you are God. We thank you for that, Father. We pray for this message that you've given us today, um, and just pray for transformed hearts. Thank you, Lord, and we love you. Amen. So, uh, where we're at, we're going to be in Mark um, chapter 2, verse 15. And that's the, the mess, or that's the passage we'll be studying the most today. And so, where are we at? Um, and I thought I'd start off today, like we've been in Mark for a little while now. I know we're only in chapter 2, but you've heard a lot of us up here telling you about Mark and some things that have come about. Like, would anybody be willing to share with all of us just some highlights, some things that maybe the Lord has spoke to you uh, so far in the book of Mark that maybe you didn't hear clearly before, or maybe you've never heard at all? 
um, some things that have changed you, you changed your um, view of Jesus, anything like that. Was there anyone out there that, like, man, this has really opened my eyes to some of this that I've never seen before? And you don't have to. Oh, Jen. Nice. Thank you. I remember that one. Yes. So, for the most part, we've just been like, and, and again, Mark is a quick, fast-paced book. I mean, he's jumping right in. Um, and, and for the most part, we've been seeing the start of Jesus' ministry, the preaching, the teaching, the healing, the starting to make a name for himself. He's starting to gain attention. People are starting to take notice. Um, he's even starting to gain followers. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call them disciples yet, like, but they're, they're starting to follow. They're starting to grow with him. They're starting to see some things. And, and that's where we're at today is he's still building his, his uh, discipleship, his apostles. And so in this, the, the verse last week um, talked about Matthew or Levi coming to follow him. And, and that's where we're at today is he walked by, Matthew or Levi was, was in his booth, and he told him, come follow me. And so we have this where we're in chapter 2, verse 15, and it says this, And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Matthew here, or Levi, um, is, is throwing kind of a farewell gathering. You know, uh, I'm leaving the trade, so to speak. Um, come meet this man, and let's say our farewells together. And, and you might say, well, man, how did you get all that from that one sentence? And, and again, I went to Scripture. I looked to Scripture to, to kind of understand this more. And Luke gives us a little bit more about this. In Luke 5, 27 through 29, Luke says it this way. It says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So this is where I get that like, hey, I'm leaving the trade. Come, let's celebrate. Let's, let's have a little get together. Let's have barbecue, whatever it is. And, and let's say, kind of say our farewells. You also get this atmosphere of relaxation, comfort, being who you are. I mean, listen to it. And as he reclined at the table in his house, Many tax, collect, tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So we have this atmosphere of relaxation. I mean, comfort, sitting there, being kind of yourself, not being fake, not pretending to be somebody you're not. And now we're going to talk about the people that's there. Tax collectors. So we hear that. I think all of us struggle with that. We, you know, the tax man don't have a great name for himself. But in this case, it's a little deeper than that. And, and there's definitely some hatred towards these people. And the best way I could think of it is, you know, let's just say our land was taken over forcefully. Let's say it was Mexico, Russia. I don't know. Just somebody come in and took over our land forcefully. Um, and they imposed their rule. In this conquest of foreign rule, not only are we being robbed of our natural resources and any wealth that we may have, you know, our gold, any of that stuff, we are forced to pay taxes to this oppressive rule. 
not for improvement of our land or our ways, but for the power that's, some, that's coming in and taking over our land. Let's say it is Mexico or, or some foreign government that comes in. They're coming over, they're taking over our land, and they're imposing these fees, these taxes, and we have to pay them. The bad thing is, in, the, in this takeover, you have some of our own. What I mean is you have to have some of the locals, some of Carbon Emory County people that decides to go and work for this foreign government, to come in and take, to, to come in and seek these taxes. Um, how this worked, and I'm not 100% on it, but I got the general gist of it, is you would come in and you would put in a bid to this foreign government for tax recording and retrieval. You would say for this area of land, you would see that um, it's due, I don't know, $50,000 or something like that. You would go and you'd say, I put in a bid for this. And if you're awarded that, you pay the Roman government that money. And now it's your job to get your money back out of the people. And so like, you're not well liked. You're making your living off of all of you guys. Off of coming and saying, well, I seen you down at the market today and I seen you bought this, this, and this. The value of this is this, this, and this. You owe me this. Um, I seen you down, you went and harvested a deer, I don't know, and, and that deer was, was killed and harvested on this land. You owe this and this and this. Like, these are not things that, like, as being a tax collector is a good thing. First of all, you more than likely were a little bit well-off to do because you had the money to pay the Roman government. And then second of all is you were making a pretty good living at this by coming and telling you all that you owe me such and such or whatever. And again, it's not for your land, it's to support, in this case, the Roman government. It's an easy win for the foreign government, and it's a way for you to make a living while being protected by the very foreign government that invaded you in the first place. And as you can imagine, it's ripe for corruption and greed. But even if it was somewhat fair, how would you feel about someone like that? A traitor, so to speak. A foreign government coming in and you go and work for that foreign government. And again, it's, it's part of your, it might be your family, it might be your friends, it's people that you know, and they decide to go and do that. This is the type of tax collector we're talking about. Not getting taxes for the land that you live in, taxes for a foreign government that come in and has oppressed you, that has taken over. Now put it to one step further, let's think of it as a few of you as a Jew. You're a Jew, meaning you're God's chosen people. You have one God and serve no other. In the Roman world, the emperors were, were uh, looked at as gods. So can you imagine your money being pulled from you to go into like a different God than the God. Like this is something that just brings in hatred. It's, it's not good. These people are not looked at. Looked at well. The tax collectors were not liked. Working for the enemy in one of the possible uh, worst ways. Taking your possessions for an outsider and receiving financial gain for it. And again, they were pretty profitable in this. They were well-to-do. Like, these guys, yeah, they were well-to-do. They didn't hide it. 
This is the type of people that we have that this is one set of people that Jesus is, is eating with, that's sitting there relaxing with. It also says sinners. If you dive into that more, the general rule of what, and they, they looked at sinners, is those who didn't have time for the law, those of the world, non-religious, the Jews looked at people who didn't follow the law as less than those people, sinners. I think all of us can at one time or another fit into that. So that's the atmosphere. That's the type of people that Jesus is sitting around and eating with. But now let's really think about it. You're Jesus. There's this get-together. You're leaving the trade, so to speak. You've heard and seen things of this man you're being led to follow. But you haven't been born again. You're, for the most part, still living for the flesh. Like, Matthew isn't all of a sudden magically changed just because he says, I'll follow. He's seen some things, but he still doesn't know 100% who Jesus is. He hasn't been born again. Again, still for the most part, living for the flesh. That phrase right there brought me into like, do we understand what I'm talking about when I say born again versus born of the flesh? And I'd like to just quick stop here for a minute and talk about that. So in John 3, 1, 6, we got this. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 15 talks about a little bit deeper. This is a little bit of a longer one, but it goes into some deeper detail. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that, righteous, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not, to submit, to, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
but if the spirit you put to death, but excuse me, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For you, for all who are led by the spirit of God, are sons of God. For you not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have this deep contrast of living for the flesh and living for the spirit. We have this deep contrast because when we're living outside of Christ and we're living with our flesh, our flesh is flat out uh, selfish, greedy. It's all about us. It's all about what we want and what makes us feel good. We rarely think of others. And that is all the flesh cares about, is serving itself. When we're born again, we're born anew in Christ. The flesh no longer matters. At least it shouldn't. Does it come back and fight? You bet. But when we're born of the Spirit and we let the flesh go, the flesh don't matter. The flesh cares so much about the here and now, when in actuality, the here and now don't really matter. The Spirit eternally matters. Eternal kingdom, the, 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 what happens after tomorrow matters. And that is what Paul is saying here. That is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Like, unless you are born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So these people, like, they're in the flesh. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that they're sitting there listening to Jesus quite a bit. But the conversations they're probably having is probably not all that spirit-led. There's probably a lot of flesh talk going on in this. I mean, if you think about it, you kind of look pretty ugly. A tax collector, self-serving, probably a little materialistic, just looking at the trade and the amount that you got paid. You may, and again, I'm not trying to put words into Matthew's mouth or anything, but you might have even, like say, I'll follow you in thoughts of what can I get out of this? Like, those are the truthful type of fleshly thoughts that we have all had serving ourselves that bears the thought of what type of people were gathering the language that was being used the actions the conversations and again i dare say fleshly conversations conversations are around jesus could you imagine some of the tax collectors are you nuts you're leaving all this for what really Probably over in the other corner, there's probably someone else. Did you see so-and-so today? No? Well, you got to go check him out. He, he got quite the catch. You probably need to go check him out. He's probably, he probably owes you quite a bit. There's probably all this type of talking going on because honestly, like, again, it says invited other tax collectors. And again, you got all this going on. And again, I would imagine Jesus is listening Um, he's a very good speaker, and to be a very good speaker, you need to be able to listen as well. Imagine he's seeing all this, but we get this reclining, this relaxing, being comfortable. Again, it says, and as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and the disciples. I mean, you would think this would bring out a righteous anger, all this flesh talk, all this selfish concerns, possibly over money, Just this talk of probably unrighteous act. Probably going out and maybe stealing from your your brothers and sisters some more. 
But you don't get that from this text. We get something totally different. A comfort for being right where he's at. Jesus, the Son of God, comfortable among sinners. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the, de- on the, on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that phrase there should have cut right to the core on, on who heard this in that day. I just told you the, the tax collector mentality, the, how they were looked down upon. And Jesus is saying right here, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And then he puts it in. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. The very people that you look down on love the way you love. Is there really any difference in that? 1 Peter 4, 7-8 through 8, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This is pulled from Proverbs 10.12, where it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. We've got love here. This love, this putting others over yourself, seeking their best interest over yours. I can guarantee you Jesus hates sin. Hates it. And he's not comfortable with that sin that he was um, relaxing in. But he was, un- he was comfortable sitting there with his creation. And his creation at this time truly don't know the depths of their sin that they're in. And he's patient with them. Talking to them about these things that's going on. Like not getting angry. Like he, says, he says before in, in things, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's patient with them. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. To die, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He showed us love while we were still sinners. It wasn't while we were trying to get our act together, because we really couldn't get our act together. This is when he showed love. So again, folks, Jesus is not, I'm not trying to portray this Jesus as just all love and he just sits there and he's okay with us and our sins, this, that, and the other, and you can see he's comfortable with it. That is not the case. He's compassionate, he's patient, and he's loving. 
but serious is sin, or sin is serious, and it needs to be taken as such. So in that, I've seen that he's patient, he's leading by example, I need to be patient with others, I need to walk with others that don't understand, Um, slow to anger, um, slow to speak, eager to listen, all these things, but it did raise the question, what is Jesus not comfortable with? And I know it's sin, he's not comfortable with that. But when does it become like you don't see this relaxation in Jesus? And that's when we stay in that sin. A heart that denies this love that he has shown, an unrepentant heart. If you look through Scripture, you see a a righteous anger come about. And and we're going to see that here in Mark 11, 15 through 17. It says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. What we have here is people taking advantage of others in God's name. Knowing that they're coming here, knowing that to do the sacrifices, you need some of these animals that's part of the law to, in this time to do this. And they're exposing them, for that, exposing them for that, overcharging them in the temple that they're supposed to be going and doing it, using the Lord's house as a place for gain. This is unacceptable. You say you know the Lord, you say and you understand some of the rules, and you're using it for your benefit. This knowing of God and using it for selfish gain. You might say, I'd never do that. I'd never charge someone to come to church or charge someone for a prayer. But how many of us have once thought, I help so-and-so, but you can't help me out or they can't help me? Or another one. You know, I gave this week. Now this bill shows up. Come on, God, shouldn't I be blessed? There's those kind of heart things that we're doing the same thing. We know who God is, but we're trying to uh, do things for our selfish gain, for our ways, not His. You've been shown the light and your ugly ways, and you still think it's all about you and your righteous way. Pride. So ask ourselves in this, where's our heart? Works or faith? I deserve God's grace because of my works. Or I've repented and changed my way because of God's grace. Heart transformation versus self-transformation. You love for gain and not for the love of Jesus and others. You're still a lover of self. You've just sprinkled God with it so it looks good. But it still smells horrible. Another one. Self-righteous faith. A holier-than-thou attitude. Luke 14, 1-6. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, They were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. 
And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. This is one of the most seen in the Bible. A righteousness in ourselves. Because we know God, but we're unwilling to lift a finger for him. This feed me, feed me type following, it's all about me and my wants. We still have this heart of stone in us. I want you to think about it for a second. How many times did Jesus have run-ins with the religious elite? It was quite a few. It's where you've seen the most of this righteous type anger, the most of this confrontation, the most of like, oh boy, I don't, I don't want to be part of this. this. This is bad. It was in there a lot. And why do you think that was? They made it about them and their glory, but not by the usual way. You know, the tax collectors, yeah, they robbed you, but they kind of openly did it. They didn't do it using God's name, and they were robbing you. And as the Pharisees, the Pharisees were robbing you of something far more of worth than money. They were robbing you of the true God and giving you a God that favored them. Kind of sounds like the story of the money changers at the temple. You know, good thing that's not like us anymore. <laughs> or is it? Could this message of confrontation be between the religious and Jesus be in there so much because possibly we as followers get complacent in Christ? Can we become numb to the gospel? Can we become numb to Easter? This time of celebration, but again, as I was told back there, what are we doing with it? What's our action? Can we become numb to it? That we don't understand it, we don't truly see it for what it is. I know I'm guilty of it, thinking it's more about, you know, my wants or my desires than his. Our flesh is real, the devil is real, and both can be real tricky. You want to know something, usually if someone will say, <laughs> how dare you say that to me? I mean, don't you know who I am, what I do? I mean, right there is a sign of pride. To tell me that I'm numb to the gospel and you start listening. You know, I go to church at least two, two times a month, if not more. I give to the tithing bucket here and there. I sometimes pay for the meal behind me at McDonald's. Don't you tell me I'm complacent in Christ. How dare you? Those are all things that I think if you had a heart-to-heart -heart with someone and you told someone that they were being complacent in Christ... Those are some things that might come up. Those are some things that might come out of my own mouth. Um, not that I'm any better than anybody else. That sounded horrible. But I am rotten.
We've had a lot of talks um, lately and through these sermons about asking questions. And a question that come up, ask yourself, why do you serve? Why do you come to church? Another question would be, why don't you serve? Why don't you sometimes come to church? Again, not that these are your salvation issues, but it shows a heart. Ask yourself this, do you give more thoughts? Do you give more thought to you and your loved ones throughout the week than you do God? How can that be? If we truly understand the cross, we truly understand what happened and what what represents this last week, how can that be? If this is so, I dare say complacency has crept in. And we've made God to care more about us and our wants than His and His love for others. These are some hard things to hear. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there going through this and, and uh, guilty as charged, guilty as charged. I've said those very things, maybe not out loud, but like, Lord, I've done my part today. I've done my part this week. And now you want me to go do this as well? Like, haven't I done enough, God? Like those type of thoughts. And again, those, those thoughts can be, like in a way, like those can be a guilt-driven, non-response, not a good response. But if you think about what he did, for me, for you, for all of us, like it changes like if we're looking at the cross daily, not just once a year, but daily, like it should humble us. It should change us to say, please let me. I'm guilty though of saying the other. As you can see, there's kind of two messages here today. One for the unbeliever and one for the believer. For the believer... God is comfortable talking with you. The building isn't going to collapse or lightning strike you because you walked into church. The church is made up of humans just like you. Flawed, broken, messed up. He meets you right where you're at. He meets you right where you're at and doesn't expect you to get your things together first and then he'll talk to you. He meets you where you're at. And really, don't kid yourself. If you think you have the power to know what getting yourself is right is, we don't have that. We're a mess. We're jacked up. Jesus loves, and he gave his life for you. And he's comfortable talking to you where you're at. On the other side of the token, we have a message for the believer. A believer that's fully tasted God's grace. We have multiple warnings in the Bible about our possible self-righteousness and our lack of love for Him and others. I believe the church is very guilty of the same things seen by the religious elite of Jesus' day, namely hypocrisy. Saying one thing, but doing another. Not lifting a finger any more than we have to. Put in our dues, so to speak, and nothing more. Folks, there is no love in that. And again, folks, I'm for one, very guilty of that. It hurts to think of that this week and to think of how I've acted. 
In saying all that, though, what does this message show to both? <laughs> we need Jesus. Not one of us can do it on our own. We need to submit, submit to his lordship. And again, how do you do that? Look to the cross daily. Not once a year. Not when things get rough. Daily. The cross should bury our pride. It should bury our self-righteousness. Our being lost. Everything. When we see the cross, we see many things. In those many things, two things should pop up. The seriousness of sin and its destruction. The seriousness, the seriousness of love and its authority over all. So a little blurb on Easter. I'm sure you all know, but you can't have Easter without at least talking about it. Again, it should be celebrated daily if you really think about it. So what is Easter? There was a man that came 2,000 plus years ago. He said and done a lot of things pertaining to eternal life. Things that were foretold. This man was accused of talking for God and being God. This man was brought in under darkness, charged and found guilty by the religious elite. At first he was punished by receiving a flogging or a severe beating. Just to the point of death, they stopped. After this, he was once again brought before the people for judgment. They let a horrible murderer go away free in place of Jesus. Sounds familiar, right? We were set free in place of Jesus. A horrible person. And we were set free because of Christ. After they set this man free, they seek death to this man by crucifixion. Nailing him to a cross, standing it straight up, so, that, so all of your weight is just in three places, your hands and your feet stacked on top of each other. That's how you were supported. Again, it's talked. I'm no uh, guy that understands the human body deeply, but you died of suff suffocation more, more than likely because you had to push up with your legs to, to be able to get oxygen in. Left there in the public with two other criminals for all to see. And all this is that serious of a crime if what he's being punished for is true. Falsely saying that he's the Messiah. Falsely saying that he's God. I mean, if you go around and tell people you're God and you have the power to forgive sins, to make all your, rights, your, all your wrongs right, it's a pretty big pill to swallow. So we've got this guy that's done some things, said some things, and some that followed up to this point. But I'll tell you what, when they seen this, they all bounced. They all left him. He says, I don't want no part of this. I believe you, but I believe you to a point. I don't believe you enough for this. So what changed? Easter, our celebration of today and the resurrection. This resurrection proved the deity of Jesus, not just some quack case. He is who he said he is, done what he said he was going to do. 
I mean, think about it. 2,000 years of an unchanging word, the Bible. More and more keep coming out, more and more hold the authority of the Bible. It's been tried by every generation and withheld every type of scrutiny. We've got 12 ordinary men that fleed when Jesus was persecuted and brought to death. When they had him here by their side, they fleed. They were with him daily for three years. And when they seen this, they fleed. They left. But something changed. After the resurrection, we never see these 12 fleeing from the gospel again. Why? Because of what we celebrate today. Our king lives, and through that life, we live. The cross is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a heavy price that was paid for me card that I'll be forever debted to. No pride, no self-righteousness, just humility and surrender. Please, I beg you, taste, this, taste the goodness of God's grace and use that taste of grace for love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this Easter would lead us to action. Lord, as I confessed, I have issues. I struggle, Lord, with tasting that grace daily and thinking that I somehow had a part to do with it, that I've done enough. I do struggle with the works type thing of earning your favor, which is a horrible place to be in, Father. Father, I pray for help for all of us in this. If anyone else fights with this, I pray that you would, you would free us of that, that we would serve out of humility. We would want to love because you loved us first. Like we see that. We see what you did on the cross. We know who we are and what we deserved. You have shown, you have shown us that. And in showing us that, you show us you and your love for us. That, Lord, should bring us to hum, like a place of humility, humbleness, to our knees. Lord, those that don't know you, maybe heard the message for the first time, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would hear you and they, they understand, like, they can be comfortable with you because you are comfortable with them. Yes, you're going to show them some things. And yes, you're going to move them out of there, but it's in love. It's for their best interest of, of where they're at, Lord. And for us that do, does know you, Lord, I, I pray again that you would walk with us, that you would, again, these stern warnings that we see over and over, Lord, that we would never stand on pride. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for what it represents. And I pray that we never forget. I pray that we don't forget daily. We always look to that, Father. It's in your beautiful name I pray, Jesus. Amen.